Well, good morning, everybody. How we doing this morning? Oh, I said good morning, everybody. How we doing this morning? Amen, amen. Well, look, guys, there's no greater time in the service that I love than worship. I love the word. I love hearing the word. But, man, when we get to worship the King of Kings, what an opportunity we have to come together and partner with the angels in heaven and sing holy, to sing these words to our King that's, that sacrificed everything for our sins. And what an honor it is to be able to have to be able to worship him in this house today, amen? Amen. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide the ransom for my life oh he is my song let the king let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run the fountain I drink from oh he is my song let the king of my heart be the shadow where for my life oh he is my soul cause you are good good oh you are good good oh you are good so good oh you are good The king of my heart be the wind inside my sails, the anchor in the waves. Oh, he is my soul. And let the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins, the echo of my days. Oh, he is my soul. Cause you are good, you're good. Oh, you are good, you're good Oh, you are good, so good Oh, you are good, good Oh, you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down Cause you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down Cause you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. No, 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 no. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. Cause you are good, you're good.
thank you for being a good father a good God there is no one like you father we don't deserve you but father you are a good God and in this place father God we just invite your presence to and we welcome you in this place to come and worship Lord as we worship at your feet and glorify your holy name, Father. I thank you, God, that you give us the opportunity to be able to praise you and come into your presence. We thank you, Father God, that you love to be in our presence, Father, even more than we love to be in yours. You love us, Lord. You come at the right time. When I least expect and never behind, so why would I be surprised? Oh, when you deliver every time, oh, mountain tops, you stay the same. In valleys alone, you never change. And I believe, oh, that I will see the goodness of the Lord. I'm confident, oh, seasons change, your faithfulness. Cause you go, you go before me to prepare a blessing you make away. It's more than I could imagine. 
more than I can fathom or comprehend. On mountain tops, you say the same. In the valleys low, you never change. And I believe all that I will see the goodness of the Lord. I'm confident for seasons change. Your faithfulness remains. And I believe all that I will see the goodness of the Lord. And I'm confident for seasons change. Your faithfulness remains. God of my present, God of my future, you write my story, you hold it all together, God of my present, God of my future, you write my story, you hold it all together, God of my present, God of my future, you write my story. You hold it all together. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You're in the middle. You hold it all together. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You're in the middle. You hold it all together. And I all that I will see the goodness of the Lord. I'm confident or seasons change your faithfulness remains. And I believe all that I will see the goodness of the Lord And I'm confident For seasons change Your faithfulness Oh, let's sing that again, and I believe And I believe That I will see the goodness of the Lord And I'm confident For oh, seasons change Your faithfulness remains Your faithfulness remains Your faithfulness why my soul sings. 
Oh, my soul sings. Oh, my soul 
Sometimes you come to a point where all you can do is look up. You don't have no words to cry out. You just sit there and you're just soaking in his presence. That's where this oh, oh, if you look at it on the screen, you say, I don't understand it. But sometimes all you have is a oh. But if you give it to God, if your spirit, if 
your, if your heart is posture to heaven. He can use that oh better than any word every lyric ever used. So I don't know about you, but sometimes I get to the point where all I can do is sing oh. Jesus, you are. 
There is none like you None like you Faithful one There is none like you None like you Faithful
communion this morning. I want to let you know as the ushers pass out the elements that we have an open communion. In other words, you do not have to be a card-carrying member of Life Church. You just simply need to be a member of the body of Christ, born again by the presence of the Spirit of God, the blood of Jesus Christ. But as we were singing that song, Majesty, you know, it's not a word we use very commonly in our language, uh, at least not in our circles. I don't know a whole lot of Cajun folks that say, you know, majesty a lot, you know. But majesty or majestic in the Bible, thank you, it means mightier than everything else. That's what it means. And by compounding, Combining those three things, mightier than everything else, David, in his writings, when he uses the word majesty, speaks of the supreme power of God over everything. He declares from the beginning that God has no rival. He is subject to no other power, and he reigns supreme. I will say that last part again. God has no rival and so when we're singing majesty we're basically saying God you are the supreme over everything there is no one that even comes close to you John the Baptist said the one coming after me I can't even tie his shoes I can't untie him I can't even go near him there's none like him. There is no rival. And so when we take communion, the Bible says we're to do this in remembrance of him. And so I just think this is a perfect place to do communion this morning. Because we're singing majesty, majesty. There's no other one like you. You have no rival. And so we're looking and remembering that and celebrating that together. God, there's no one like you. Jesus, there's none like you. Hallelujah. Has everybody received the emblems this morning? You'll notice there's two cups. One has the, the bread wafer on the bottom and then the cup on top with the juice. Let me read to you the scripture that Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He said, do this. He said, I received from the Lord that which I delivered unto you. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. when he had given thanks. I want you to stop and think about this. Because he says, take and eat for this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance. He knew what was coming. He knew what was going to happen. And yet he gave thanks. He gave thanks prior to the suffering. He gave thanks. And we say, how? Could he have done that? And the writer of Hebrews tells us because he looked past the suffering 
to the day of resurrection and the joy that was to come. And he was able to face what was coming towards him and give thanks. You know, it's not always easy to give thanks when you're going through a trial. It's not always easy to give thanks when you're facing uncertainty. It's not always easy to give. Jesus gave thanks. And then he said, take this bread and do it in remembrance of me. So can we just take a moment and give God thanks for what Jesus did for us on the cross? He paid the price the ultimate price that God required for the abolishing of sin, the penalty of sin that was on our lives. He wiped it out completely. He didn't cover it up. He abolished it. It was gone. And he did it willingly. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you so loved the world that you gave your only son. Jesus, we thank you that you willingly laid down your life for us. We just sang that we are sinners by nature, and yet you loved us enough to lay down your life. And you even gave thanks for it, the ability to do so. Father, thank you. It seems so small compared to what Jesus did for us but we give thanks and we do this in remembrance of the price that he paid upon the cross you can take of the bread it says in the same manner he took a cup after the supper and said this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. Because that blood removed the curse upon all mankind. The curse of sin when the blood when the blood touched the earth it was the beginning it was the shaking it was the beginning of a turn that would be forever and all eternity Jesus we take this cup and we're reminded that you told us in Luke's gospel that I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until I do it with you in my father's house in heaven we take this and we're knowing that you're coming soon and we praise you thank you Jesus you can take the cup let's just sing the chorus of that song one more time majesty just forever I am changed by your love in the presence of your majesty Man. 
grace Your grace has found me just as I am Empty hand and put a life in your hand Singing majesty Oh, majesty Forever I am changed by your love In the presence of your majesty Lord, there's no rival that can come close to you And so we stand here today victorious because you rose from the grave victorious. And God, it's not who we are in ourselves. It's who you are in us and who we are in you. That we can lift our hands and lift our voices and praise you and magnify you this day. We glorify you, Jesus. And we, Father, say simply have your way let your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it already is in heaven and we thank you and praise you for that in jesus name amen amen why don't you turn and greet three or four people and just greet them in the name of the lord this morning Praise the Lord. We have uh, an announcement for you for the women. Uh, where's Heidi? Please. Ladies, attention forward. <laughs> we are going to be having a Women of Life meeting, and it's going to be a prayer square party. It will be October 7th from 1030 to 130. We ask that you please bring a finger food, and the sign-up sheet for that is in the foyer if you're interested. Amen. Praise God. And uh, I just want to remind you, I know it's still a ways out, but October 27th, 28th, and 29th, Jason Beard will be with us. And um, I received a text yesterday from Dr. Dennis Zimbabwe uh, about the possibility, if we can work it out, I don't know, of coming the first weekend in December. Um, he's had a cancellation and wants to come back to Lafayette. And I said, we'll see what we can do. So you pray with us about that and see if we can work that out. I mean, there's, December is a busy month already with a lot of things going on. But uh, I told him I'd let him know something in the next day or so. So just continue to pray about that. appreciate that so much. Amen. So... I think that's it right now. Amen. Let's get into the message this morning. The message this morning is simply entitled Heaven's Mystery Wedding. Okay. And uh, we started a series called Looking Back to the Future. And I'm kind of uh, inserting this in the middle because it has to do with uh, the study of the fall feast uh, uh, in Jewish uh, law, Jewish history. And this teaching ties in with the 
um, uh, the, the teaching last week of uh, the Feast of the Trumpets. The Apostle Paul gives clear um, instruction that God's, God gave wedding customs, uh, services, ceremonies to the Jewish people to teach us about Jesus. In other words, we, we taught last week that the feast of the Old Testament were shadows or types. The, word is, the, the terminology used is types of that which was to come. So they were just a foreshadow of that which was going to come. And so this goes along with that. It, and, and I want to explain this to you. Because a lot of times there's scriptures that are used that we quite don't understand because we don't understand first century Judaism. The Jewish marriage system um, actually has four stages to it. Um, and, and they are found, and it, and it shows us the beauty of the relationship between the church and the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. He is the head. He is the body, but we are called the bride of Christ. And so I want to show you the stages, these four stages, and how they tie in. And what you're going to see through this, I hope to see, is that you'll see is that this overarching picture of how God planned from the very beginning all the way to the very end of time in the Scripture exactly what his plan was, that he hid from the very foundations of the earth. And so let's look at the Jewish wedding ceremony and, and all that's entailed in that. And the first stage of the four stages is that the bride has to be chosen. I know this may seem strange, but in the first stage, the, the, the bride is chosen by the father of the bridegroom. Not by the groom, but by the father of the bridegroom. And um, that stage may happen before the children are born between two families. They choose that uh, if I have a son and you have a daughter, we want our children to be married. It may be done when they're very young as children. And it can be done as, as shortly as a couple weeks before the actual wedding. But usually there's a long period of time that can transpire between the first stage and the second stage. And many times, the bride and the groom do not even see each other until the wedding day. Now, yeah, some of you looked up at me and went, <laughs> can you imagine that? Uh, not even see each other till the wedding day. But the bride was usually chosen by the father of the bridegroom. Now, how was that done? The father would usually send his most trusted servant, known as an agent, to the father, and he would go and search out a bride for his master's son. And an excellent example is found in Genesis 24, and you can go and read it. But in this case, what happened? Abraham sends out looking for a bride for his son Isaac, and he sends out his most trusted servant, Eleazar. And what we see here is a picture that Abraham, as a type of the father, sends forth his servant, um, Eleazar, which is like the Holy Spirit, looking for a bride for his son Isaac, who is a type of Jesus Christ. 
And the application is really simple here, that believers in Jesus Christ are chosen already by God. In John chapter 17, verse 24 says this, Jesus prays and he reveals this. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. So notice what he's praying here. He's praying to his father, and he's saying, those that you gave me, I pray that they will be with me. Isn't that an incredible picture? It is the father sending through the spirit of God, bringing together his bride, and he prays that they, the bride will be with him someday. Part of the first stage also includes what's called the bride price. The bride price has to be established. A marriage ceremony is not merely an incidental transaction between two different families. One family gives a very precious possession, a daughter. The other family puts something together of equal footing and that is considered a gift or the bride price. Now the bride price does a few things. The first thing is it makes the contract binding on both parties, okay? It gives, it creates an alliance between the two different families. It, it, uh, it, it, it brings, uh, uh, for example, how many of you remember in the, in the Old Testament, Jacob worked for seven years for Laban as the bride price for Rachel. Remember that? Seven years. So the application for us is that Jesus Christ, being our bridegroom, he paid the very highest of price for you and I, the church, through his precious blood. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, look what it says. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. The word redeemed meaning purchased. He says, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but you were purchased basically with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. 1 Corinthians 6 and 20, the apostle Paul writes, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And he says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. See, it's not you making the choice. It is, it is the Father drawing you. Think about it. The agent goes out looking for a bride for his master's son. No one comes to the Father except the Holy Spirit draws him. Isn't that right? And so he says, but not only are you drawn, it's not you making the decision. I mean, yes, I have a choice in it. I can choose to say no, or I can choose to say yes, and I'm going to show you that in a minute. But he's saying, don't misunderstand this part. You were bought with a price. 
And that price was negotiated at the beginning of time because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And it's not just any blood. It's the blood of a perfect, unblemished lamb. And that's what we just read a moment ago. So that is the bride price. So once the bride price is established, there's another part. We're still in the first stage. And that is the betrothal and the bride's consent. Jewish marriages were legally formalized with a marriage contract that is called a ketubah. K-E-T-U-B-A-H, ketubah, not tuba. You know, like the blowing of the horn, but a ketubah. It's a marriage contract, okay? And, and the ketubah is a marriage contract that does three basic things. It establishes what the bride price will be, okay? It promises the bride what the groom will do in the future. And it also gives the rights of the bride spelled out in the contract. So you see this is a very detailed thing. What the price will be, what the groom promises, and what our rights as the bride, what they are. And it is all written out. The, the word ketubah in, 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 in Hebrew means that which is written. Because it's a contract. And so with it, the groom promises. What, what does the groom promise to do? The groom promises to work for his, his bride. He promises to honor, support, and maintain her in truth. He pro promises to provide food and clothing and necessities. And he promises to live together with her as husband and wife. In Genesis 24, when you go back and read about how this servant, Eleazar, has gone out to find a wife for his master's son, Isaac. He comes upon a woman who's drawing water from a well. And if you read the story, he says, Lord, I, I, I'm in a strange land. I'm in a strange place. And, and I'm not sure who to go to. He said, the, the, the woman that you want, let her not only offer to draw water for me, but let her offer to draw water for my camels. And, and Rebecca does that. And so afterwards, he begins to tell her, he says, who is your father? And can I go to meet him? And she's, she invites him to come. And you have to go read the whole story in Genesis 24. But once Eleazar tells Rebecca's father his mission and that he's there to find a wife for his master, and he tells her all about his, his master's son, the father asked Rebecca for her consent. Was she willing to go with this man to marry this other man's son? And she consented to marry Isaac even before she even met him, based upon what the servant had told them about their master. Now, I'm looking at some of you, and some of you are rolling your eyes at me because you're thinking, how in the world would I know he's telling the truth? How, and how could we possibly know? They're not, this ain't some smoke screen, some scam, or whatever, right? I mean, come on, be honest. That's, that's natural. 
But she consented without even seeing Isaac on the word of this servant who was on a mission to find a bride. And the point that I want you to see is this. God's word is our ketubah. It is that which is written. And the promises of the price and the promises that are for us and the rights of who we are in Christ and our relationship is spelled out in this word. And the other point is simply this, that we still have to say, I do, to him. And we do it having never seen him. We do it without even seeing him. And then the next part of the first stage, some of you are thinking, we're never going to get out of here. I saw people coming in with large drinks. They said, oh, good, I can preach a long time. <laughs> but no, it's not going to be that long. The first stage is the longest stage. And then once the, the, the woman agrees, and then she meets the, the, fam, the other family, there is known what is known as the love gifts and the cup of the covenant. The rite of betrothal is, is complete when the groom gives something of value to the bride and she accepts it. Now, just because he offers something doesn't mean she's going to take it. But when he offers something of value and she accepts it, the betrothal is complete. In fact, in, in, in several different uh, ethnic customs, the betrothal is a bigger thing than the actual wedding. It's a huge thing. And the gift that is most offered today in, our, in a wedding ceremony is what? It's a ring, right? That, that ring may, may be a simple ring like this, but what it symbolizes is an unbroken union. It is one, and the circle is not to be broken. And so we offer a ring, and when the groom places the ring on the bride's finger, in the Jewish marriage system, it is a rite of betrothal, okay? The gifts to the bride are symbols of love and commitment and loyalty. And in addition to this, at this time, there is a, covenant, a cup of covenant that is shared between the two of them, between the bride and the groom. They, they pour a little wine in a cup, and he'll drink from it, and then he offers it to her. And if she drinks from it, then it's complete. It's, a, it's known as a common cup. Now, what does that have to do with us? There's two points in that. One of them is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Acts 2 and 38 and Acts 10 45 that the Holy Spirit was given as a down payment of what's to come. In the patrolal process, the gift is given as a down payment of that which is to come. It's a promise of what's to come. The Holy Spirit has been given to us as a promise of what is to come. The Holy Spirit inside of you, my friends, if you're born again, he is the proof. He's the promise. He's the condition that says, don't lose hope. Don't lose sight. He's coming back for you one day. Then we have the Last Supper, and we just did the communion service. And Jesus said this in Matthew 26, 29. 
I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So that is the cup of common, the cup of covenant. And that's why when we take it, it's in remembrance of not only what he's done, but it's in remembrance of the promise that he's made and that he's coming for us. Okay? The next part of the first stage is what known as the mikvah. Mikvah. Say mikvah. Okay, very good. You did that well. It is a pre-ceremonial act of purification by water, by immersion in water. It, is, it, it indicates a separation from their former way, recognizing they've entered into a covenant relationship by betrothal to somebody else. How is that pertinent to us? As believers in Jesus Christ, we are said to be washed or immersed by the word of God. Ephesians 5, 25 to 26, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Not only that, we have water baptism. What does water baptism signify? It's proclaiming to the people out there that my life has changed. I am now betrothed. I am in a covenant relationship with the one who is known as Jesus Christ. And it signifies that new covenant relationship with him. The betrothal is the first of two steps in this marriage process. I want to show you there's one part for the groom and one part for the bride. For the groom, it is a time of preparation. Once all these things have happened, once the bride, the bride price has been established, once the covenant has been signed, once the gift has been exchanged, once they have drank from the common cup, then there is a period of time and there's something specific for the bride and specific for the groom. And for the groom, it is a time of preparation. The groom would depart and return to his father's house to prepare the bridal chamber, which is known as the huppah, okay? Sometimes this would require actually adding on to the father's house. I, it was one of the first things I thought about when I moved to south-south Louisiana. My, my first place living in Louisiana was Thibodeau. And, and uh, I went to a church that the pastor told me when he went there, there were 50 people in the church, 40 from one family. I said, those aren't good odds. <laughs> you upset one, you got 40 of them all upset against you, right? He was there for 30-something years, so he must have done something right. But as I got to know them, uh, what was amazing is this, this one family, the mother had 18 kids, and one of the daughters had 17. And the first time I went to one of their family reunions, there's like 400 people there. I'm like, where do all these people come from? And, 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 and you may know this, but... Back in those days, a lot of somebody would own a huge plot of land. And when the child would get married, they'd section off a plot, 
for them to live right there. Or, and some of them said they would actually just built onto daddy's house, you know, a separate section. And then the next one built onto that one. And so when I was driving by one day, they go, that's my land, that's my son's land, son-in-law's land, sister-daughter's land. I just, and I'm like, man, I said, they're they, they right there. And, I, and then when I thought about this, I said, in, in the, the, the groom would go and prepare the bridal chamber for his soon coming bride. It was a time of preparation. Well, what does John 14, 2 and 3 say? In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to do what? To prepare a place for you. And in verse 3 it says, and if I go, did he go? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Where is Jesus right now? So when he comes back, where is he bringing us to? The place that he's been preparing all this time. Why? Because he's signed a covenant with his blood that there's going to be a wedding. And somebody get excited about that at least. I mean, the groom's father was the one. Here's the thing you need to understand. In, in a Jewish marriage, wedding ceremony, it's the groom's father who decides when the bridal chamber is ready for the bride. You'd think it'd be the son. Hey, Dad, I got it done. I think it's ready to go. Can I go get my bride, right? No. In the Jewish custom, it wasn't that way. It's the son's father, the groom's father, who decides that the bridal chamber is ready. What's the application there? In Matthew 24 and 36, Jesus says to the people, No one knows about that day or hour, even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. See, I don't know how many people have struggled over that. But the people of that day understood it because they understood the wedding custom of the day. Jesus is speaking to the Jews in the language that they could understand. So he says, of that hour no one knows. The angels don't know. The Son of Man doesn't even know. Only my Father in heaven. Why? Because it's the Father who chooses when the bridal chamber is ready. So for the groom, it's a time of preparation. But what is it for the bride? It's a time of purification. Purification. The bride, during this time of separation, was to wait eagerly for the return of the bridegroom. The betrothal was for the groom, a time of preparation, but for the bride, it's a time of purification and anticipation, okay? The typical time of a betrothal and a Jewish wedding is one year. Why one year? To demonstrate the purity of the bride. Because if she was pregnant by another man, it would be found out in that year period of time. 
What's the application there? In 1 John 3 and 3, it says, Everyone who has this hope, this hope that of Christ coming back, not hope like wishful hope, but the hope, the promise inside, purifies himself just as he is pure. Revelation 19, 17, the last part of that verse says, For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. That's the first stage. So the second stage is the fetching of the bride, the gathering of the bride. The bridegroom goes to retrieve the waiting bride. Okay? The next, that's the next part of this, to bring his bride home to the place that he has prepared. And this was often done in accompaniment with a wedding procession. Just as long a period could transpire between the first and the second stage. Um, and, and, and so it has been with the church. Christ made the covenant on, at that last supper that we just read about. He signed it with his blood. He went back to the Father to prepare a place. And just as somebody maybe uh, an agreement made between families at when a child is one and another other child is one and it's not going to be until they're up in age. A period of time will go by. The same thing is happening. Christ has not forgotten his promise. And so a period of time has gone by. That is not unusual. Almost 2,000 years have passed since this covenant has been sealed with his blood. And the moment will come when Jesus will be, the Father will turn to Jesus and tell him, it's time to go get your bride. And the fetching of the bride, as we understand it in the New Testament today, is the rapture of the church. It is described in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 and 18, through 18. Paul says, I would not have you ignorant, brothers, concerning those who are asleep or those who have died that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. He said, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so God will bring with him those who sleep in Christ, in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who are asleep or have died. It says, for the Lord himself from heaven will shout with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we be forever with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Can I tell you that the church needs to be reminded of the covenant that Jesus made with us. And we are to comfort one another with the fact that brothers and sisters, it may be a little rough now, it may be a little difficult, it may be a little tough, but one day, that trumpet you heard last week, that trumpet is going to sound. And when it does, we're gone. He is coming to get us. Now, I've had people tell me, well, I don't believe that, and I just figure whatever happens, happens. Let me tell you, 
The bride was always living with anticipation of the day the bridegroom was coming. The church cannot live with a quesara-sara attitude. Whatever happens, happens kind of thing. Let me tell you, we're to be living with the mindset that he bought us with a price. We're here with a purpose. We have a mission to accomplish. And one day, that trumpet is going to sound and we're going to be with him. The church needs to be reminded of that. It says, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another. The rapture of the church. I don't have time to teach on that. When will it come? I don't know. But it's coming. And it's going to happen before that last seven-year period. But that does not mean I live with an escapism mentality like we may never have difficulties or we may never have trouble. Trouble's already here, my friends, and it's escalating. But guess what? He who has over, already overcome the world, he is the one who lives inside of us. Then there's a third stage. Once the bride has been retrieved, there is what is known as the marriage ceremony. Now, this may be a little new for some of you, but in the Jewish tradition, the marriage ceremony would be conducted in the house of the groom or the father or the groom's place that he's prepared in his father's house. And the only ones invited to the wedding would be immediate family and a few other very close friends of the family as witnesses of what's going on. And when the marriage wedding of the lamb takes place, it will be only those who are a part of the rapture of the church. Listen to me. Because there will be those who will come to Christ during the tribulation. They're not part of the bride. The church is the bride. I'm just telling you. In Revelation 19, verse 6 through 8, and it says, I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of the mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for our Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And now look at verse 8. And to her... It was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen, let's stop for a minute, the fine linen is like the wedding garment, right? Clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. That's why it's not a matter of, oh, I go to church and, I pray a little prayer, and I just live my life any way I want. I would question your salvation. I'm serious. You say, well, I don't have to do anything to earn salvation. You can't earn salvation. But at the same time, you're in a covenant relationship with a holy God. And the Bible says that the wedding garment, clean and bright, is fine linen 
It's the righteous acts of the saints. The reason the bride will now be ready for the ceremony is because she will have on the entire bridal gown. Here's the thing that when, if I were to die right this moment, I would step into glory. But I would not be at the wedding because there has to be something that takes place first. Because see, the Bible speaks of the fact that there is a judgment seat of the saints before Jesus Christ. And many church people have never heard that. They think the judgment seat is the one where the books are open and those who are not in it go to hell. But the Bible says that the saints of God, when Christ comes into your life, we will stand and give an account of every word and thought and deed that we have done in our lives since the blood was applied to our lives. And the Bible says everything that is not of eternal value that we do in our daily lives is like wood, hay, and stubble that will be burned up with fire. But everything that is of eternal value is like gold and silver and precious stones. And when it goes through the fire, it is simply refined even more. He says, that's what it is. And he said, and those righteous acts are the garment that we wear at the wedding ceremony. I wish I had time to really teach a lot on that. But it is a part of what we are doing. We are in a time of purification and anticipation. Jesus is off preparing a place for us. And having claimed the bride, the Jewish bridegroom would, would, and that small party would come together at the house. And they would be under the huppah that he's prepared. And the ceremony would take place in that place. In Israel, when I was there several years ago, I saw a wedding taking place, and this is, this is used as symbolism of coming under the chuppah, the, 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 the place that was prepared for the ceremony. And a lot of times you may see something like this even in the States at, at a wedding where they have a covering. This is where it comes from. It's the concept behind it. And today, the groom and the bride stand under it for a wedding ceremony. And originally, it was the place where the groom would take the bride to symbolize her coming under his authority, but his protection. And in order to have privacy uh, for the consummation of the marriage. Now, this is the part to me that is so incredible in revealing to us what God's true plan is about the end times. And, and I use it many times when arguing, not arguing, debating with people about whether the rapture of the church is real or not. But it is, it is revealed in this whole wedding process because after the ceremony, remember it's a small ceremony. There's not a lot of people there. The bride and the groom would go into the wedding chamber, the place that has been prepared by the groom, and they would stay in that wedding chamber for seven days, out of sight from everybody else. The marriage is consummated. They get to know one another. Seven days they stay in there, okay? Somebody, I had somebody one time at the class I was teaching thinking, I'm seven days, I've got to get out. I've got to get out, you know. But you have to remember, they've been separated for years and years and years. 
And now this incredible moment has come and taken place. I can't imagine seven days with Jesus and going, I got to get out. No, I'm like, get out of my way. You want to leave? Go ahead. I'll take your place. I'm getting up. I'm moving up closer, right? But here's, here's the thing. I want you to see this. Because after seven days, the bride and groom come out of that prepared place. And they are seen for the first time as husband and wife. And a public declaration is made to everyone. Like in today's ceremony, we say you may kiss the bride. And then we turn, they turn around and we say, we now present to you husband and wife. Okay? But in the Jewish custom, the marriage is not done until it is consummated. And so all the things that have taken place, seven days they've been in that place. Now this is interesting to me because the Bible says there is something known as Daniel's 70th week. And we know that from the time that the judgment was made for the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem up until the time that Christ died was 69 weeks. A week, in, in, as were revealed in Daniel, was a seven-year period of time. So it's 483 years took place, okay, until the cutting off of the Messiah, which Daniel talks about. Cutting off means the killing of, the, of Messiah. And at that point, this count that Daniel had stopped and left one week or one seven-year period that was still left. Now, let me ask you, how many days in a week? Seven, right? It's not a trick question. <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't know. <laughs> it's seven. In case you don't know, it's seven, okay? Seven days is a week, right? But the Bible tells us that there's going to be a week or a seven-year period of time known as the tribulation period. And during that time, the bride has been caught up to be with the bridegroom. And the bride and the bridegroom are not seen for a whole week. Are you making the connection? One seven-year period, Daniel, 70, 70 years, 70 weeks. It's one seven-year period. They're caught up. They're there. The ceremony's taking place. And 1 Corinthians 15 is the record of the day when the trumpet will sound and the bridegroom comes forth. It says this, and, 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 the, and, and as the bridegroom and, and them come forth, the declaration is made. And the angel said, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words of God. Now this is important, because oftentimes we hear the marriage supper used in the same connotation as the marriage ceremony. But how many of you know that in a wedding ceremony, it's one thing and the reception is another? Am I right? It's the same in Jewish custom. Only family and a few close friends as witnesses would be there for the wedding. But then... The invitation goes out. While the husband and wife are in the chamber, the, the, the invitations go out, the word goes out, 
Come to the marriage supper. Come to the wedding celebration. The wedding supper is about to take place. Come. And here we see it right here. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. In Luke chapter 13, verse 29, it says, people will come from the east and the west, the north and the south, and will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. So many are invited to the marriage supper. And the, pa the passage indicates that the, these are two separate events that are going to take place. So who's invited? Blessed are those who are invited. Who are those who are invited? The Old Testament saints. They are not resurrected at the rapture of the church because they are not part of the church. They died in, under the law. They're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, but they're not part of the church. Old Testament saints will be invited to the church. John the Baptist, who was called the last of the Old Testament prophets, said, I am not he, I am a friend of the bridegroom. That's what he said. And so the, the Old Testament saints will be there. Tribulation saints who are, who are martyred for their faith, who will, they will be resurrected and they will be brought to the wedding feast, okay? And then, and then it goes on from there. And then we'll have the, the, the survivors of the tribulation out of Israel. They will be invited to the wedding feast. Listen, the marriage feast, the, let's put it this way. The wedding itself will be in heaven. How many plan to be there? Half of you. Okay, the rest of you, I want to talk to you afterwards. <laughs> the wedding will be in heaven. The marriage feast will be on earth at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints will be resurrected and united with their soul and spirit and those who survived the tribulation out of Israel, they will be invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And if you think they're getting left out, we just read it a minute ago, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper. There is a blessing in that. They're a part of that. And they are going to be a part of it. In fact, in Isaiah 25, verse 6 through 9, it reveals that the messianic kingdom or the millennial 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth will begin with a feast. And this finishes the four stages of the Jewish wedding. So what happens after that? What happens after a regular wedding? What happens after a wedding and a ceremony? We find in the scripture that John in Revelation sees the home of the bride. How many of those old time movies, they don't do it so much today, but in the old time movies, they would come back to the place that was their place, the home or whatever, and the groom would pick up the bride and carry her across the threshold. In other words, saying, it's done, you're home. That's what it's all about, my friends. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ, though, is coming back. And he, instead of carrying us across the threshold, he's going to build a whole new kingdom right here on earth. And the Bible says we will rule 
and reign with him for 1,000 years here on earth. And that's not like sitting up in heaven, strumming a harp and singing songs. That's not what it is. It's ruling and reigning. Ruling deals with governance. Why? Because there will still be human beings alive during that 1,000-year period. Satan and all of his demons will be bound in the bottomless pit, and life will go on. And, and, and the Adamic nature that we're all born with will still be there. So there will be governments will be established. We will rule and reign. Reign has to do with position. Kings, princes, governors, presidents, you know, whatever, all the way down to the lowest line. Reigning is position, and ruling is dealing with governance, like a court rules on something, or a, an executive order by a governor rules on something. We will rule and reign with him on earth for 1,000 years. And after that comes the final judgment. And after that, God re renovate, re-changes the whole landscape of the earth. And John says, I saw the final abode of the bride. And it's found in Revelations 21 through 10, verse 10 through Revelation 22 and verse 5. And I, I'm not going to read all of it, but I want you to see something. In Revelation 21 and 9, it says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of the seven last plagues came to me and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And according to verse 9, the bride is now the wife of the Lamb. The wedding ceremony and feast have taken place a thousand years before. They've been married for a thousand years. And then John sees the home, the final abode, the final part of the whole picture and verse 10 and it says and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God and then beginning in verse 21 uh, uh, chapter 21 verses 11 through 22 he spells out the detail of the home of where we are going to live. That is all tied with the Feast of Trumpets, which is this Friday. It begins on Friday. But I'm looking for any day for the trumpet to sound. But here's, here's, here's my closing point for you. God has thought out every detail and revealed it in his word it's not a surprise it's not like something that's unknown he described it in detail and he gave it for us to understand the book of revelation is the only book in the bible that in the first part and the last part it says there's a special blessing for them who read and understand the words of the prophecy. Why? Because 
Most people think of Revelation, they think of terrible times, horrible things, plagues and wars and everything else. God wants us to understand, I've got it all in control. Nothing's catching me by surprise. I've scoped it out from beginning to the very end of time itself. But here's the thing. Salvation, which is also thought out before the beginning of time, God has made available to us. He's revealed it through his son, Jesus Christ. And we can enjoy eternity in this incredible plan, in this incredible place that God has already made for us. The thing is that there is salvation only in one person, one name, and it's Jesus Christ. We have it on the sign out there every single day. I want people to know there is only one name, and it's Jesus one name can change your life. One name can change your life. Save your family. Re remove you out of God's damnation because of your sins into eternal life that you didn't even work for. But it's one person, one name, Jesus Christ. And this is the hope that we all have as believers. It doesn't matter where your name is written down on a church ledger or not. What matters is your name written down in the Lamb's book of life. Have you received Christ? Have you surrendered to your life to Christ today? If not, you're going to miss when the trumpet sounds. And as my mentor used to say, he said within 24 hours after that trumpet sounds, every church in America is going to be packed with people wanting answers. God help the preachers who are still left here because they didn't tell anybody that Jesus was coming again. Salvation is found only in him. And I don't know where you stand with God today. I don't know where you stand with the Lord today. But the Bible says if you were to go before him right now and if you're carrying your sins and you're still living your way, you're, you're not going to make it before a holy God. But there's no need for you to miss out on this incredible adventure, this incredible relationship. The promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. They cannot be changed because they are written in his blood. And if you have not surrendered your life. You've not yielded your life. You've not said, I do. Years ago, I had a short video that I used for a sermon one time. And it showed a bride coming down the aisle, dressed in her white gown, and the groom standing there proudly accepting her. And it came time to exchange vows. And he exchanged his vows with her. And then it came time for her to exchange vows. And she stopped and she said, um, I'm willing to do all these things that we've said. But I'd like to put one clause in there. And that is that one day a year, 
I can go back and date my old boyfriend. You should have seen when I played that, that little video. You see everybody in church go, what? And he's, she's looking into his eyes, and he's like, huh? He says, I will honor you. I will follow you. I will support you. I'll do all those things. I'll love you. Everything. But one day a year, let me go back and date my old boyfriend. And he said, no. She says, it's just one day out of the whole year. No. She didn't understand. And you know a lot of church people are like that. They'll come in on Sunday and go, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice in praise. But tomorrow... I'm going to go do it my way. He's looking for a church, a bride, without spot or wrinkle. It's time to get serious, folks, because the trumpet's about to sound. And if that trumpet sounded right now, do you know that you'd go to be with him? If not, are you ready to say I do to Jesus and surrender your life? And if you want someone to pray with you, I want you to just simply be bold enough. Don't bow your head. Don't close your eyes. Just raise your hand and say, Pastor, I need someone to pray with me. I want to say I do to Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? We're going to pray. There may be someone watching by way of the internet. You're raising your hand right now. We're praying for you. You pray with us as we're getting ready to pray. It's time to say, I do. I said, it's time to say, I do, right? Amen. Amen. We're going to pray right now. You want to come? I want to pray with you. Come on, church, celebrate. <laughs> you pray with me right now won't you pray with me right now dear God in heaven I am a sinner and I have fallen short of your standards dear Jesus I surrender my life I say this day I do to you come into my life Forgive me of my sins. Give me a fresh start from this day forward. You are my only one. I will accept no other from this day forward. I say I do. Amen. Now, Father, I pray for my, this man right now, and I pray, thank you, God, for the work that you have done in his life. That, Father, that every sin of our past has been washed away. There's a transformation that is taking place on the inside of him right now. God, you've moved him out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your eternal son, Jesus, right now. Holy Spirit, you have been given and now have taken up residence inside of him. And you've been given to 
teach and to guide and to lead and direct us in all truth concerning Jesus. Holy Spirit, open his eyes. Give him understanding that he never recognized even to this very day. He'll suddenly become aware of right and wrong and changes that you're putting your finger on in his life that need to change and the courage and the boldness to be able to do it. Because God, you've got the best waiting for him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And the Bible says that in the presence of God the Father, there is rejoicing this day in heaven. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Hallelujah. Lord, we bless you and we praise you. We magnify you, Lord God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And see, folks, that's what it's all about. Jesus saw before the beginning of time. In fact, the Bible says that had the devil known the plan that God had, he would never have crucified the king of glory. But he thought he had the upper hand, and when he did what he did, he lost. And God won. And so we give God the praise for the lives that have been changed, are being changed, and will be changed. Let the church live with purpose. Let the church live with focus. Because it's not about just hanging on till Jesus comes. That's what I was told as a young believer. You just got to hang on till Jesus comes. No, no, no. Jesus said, go and take the land. Go and take it in my name. That's what we're called to do. Amen. Praise God. Take a, would you do me a favor and, and just take a seat for a moment? We have an announcement to make before you this morning. Thank you for your time. I'm conscious of the time, but we, we, we want to uh, do this and in, in, in honor um, you and, and the people involved in this. And I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Nick and Hannah if you would come. The family can come too. Yeah, that's right. They're all in, holding on. Come on. Uh, Pastor Nick and Hannah have served as our student or youth pastors for three over three years now and we are so thankful that they came when they did and have served in their capacity and their heart for young people and for God but Pastor Nick let me know a couple of weeks ago that he felt their season or time here at Life Church was coming to a close and just wanted to thank us for that in fact I'll let you just say anything do you want to say anything yeah, okay and so um, I wanted them to come and let us honor them and and let you know that uh, we're announcing it today Wednesday will be his last time 
with the youth upstairs. And, um, uh, but the position is not going to be empty. Uh, Tiger and Christy are, will be moving upstairs to minister to our young people. And Sam and Chris uh, Louvier will be going to the tween class. And so God has everything covered. And, and, uh, but we want to just say thank you for, the, for coming and sharing your, your talents and your heart and everything with us. And then pray for you and your family. And uh, so why don't you take a couple moments and just speak. I got Kleenex if you need no, it. It's good. clean. You're good. I haven't spit on it or nothing. <laughs> um, my wife said, keep it short and sweet. Because, you know, when I got a microphone in my hand, sometimes I tend to ramble. But I couldn't leave without saying uh, this opportunity to come to Life Church was at a time in my life that I needed more than I ever knew. Um, this last three and a half years, I've grown so much in the Lord, grown so much in leadership. Uh, learned a lot about myself and uh, I just want to thank and honor Pastor Bob and Miss Amanda for giving us my family this opportunity to come and be a part of this family you guys are a family um, you will always be our family uh, if you need anything you can hit us up on Facebook or try to get my number I'm here for you guys uh, anything you need um, and I just want to say every neck that I've hugged every hand that I've shook it's, it's just been a blessing and an honor and a pleasure to be here and serve as a youth pastor uh, for Gap Youth and Life Church. Um, every Sunday, have an opportunity to play with this. Uh, my boy right here, Justin, and my, my friends, Mr. Glenn and Mr. Bobby and Elena and the many others that have come and Josiah and all the others that have come. It's just been such an honor to be a part of this house. And uh, we just pray blessings over this this house, Lord, uh, and this and the youth ministry. We, we are so excited that Tiger and Christy are going to be stepping up in our place. I think that's beautiful. Um, we hope that everything that we've set uh, in the youth is going to, they're just going to continue it, and God's going to bless it even more. And the things that have been prophesied over this church, that the youth is going to be a part of the, the revival that's going to take place, is going to happen. That's I right. stand with Life Church, and I believe that, um, and I'm okay. God's good. I don't know what this new season holds for my life, but I know he's good. This song this morning, I didn't know if y'all noticed, but I kind of choked up a little bit when he said, you know, uh, talked about seasons change. And sometimes you don't understand why, but God knows. And I know that God has a plan for me and my family. And I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, from the bottom of all our hearts, thank you guys so much for loving us, helping us grow. And just allowing us to be a part of everything that God's doing here at Life Church. Amen. We love y'all. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. Wednesday morning during prayer, those that were here, um, the Holy Spirit spoke a word to me. That, and then I ended up prophesying that the balance of it uh, and the word was realignment and I don't remember all of it I wish I had recorded it on my phone I didn't know I was going to do that but uh, the Holy Spirit said that God was like a chess maker a chess player 
and that a lot of times we look at something and we don't understand it because we're looking at the immediate but God's already looked 10 steps out and he said there's a realignment taking place in the body of Christ all across the world and there have been those who have been up here for a long time and they're being moved out and there are those who have been being raised up in the back 40 somewhere in a cave somewhere and God's bringing those pieces into play. And if you've ever watched a chess master move pieces around, you may be standing there looking at it going, what in the world is he doing? Or is, or is she doing? But they've, they're already mapping out 10 places ahead and they're moving, moving. And all of a sudden, boom, there it is. They capture the king. And you're like, whoa, I didn't even see that coming. God says, I've got it all under control. I know what's going on. And that was a comfort for me. During that time, I just spoken with a pastor the day before. They were going through change, and there, uh, and and he named a half a dozen other pastors in other states that were going through massive staff changes. And it was like, what in the world is going on? And then God says, I'm making the realignment for things that need to come. And 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 look, when God makes changes, God makes changes, and we're not to question that. And so when they came, my heart was heavy about it, and uh, but I, I felt the genuineness of Nick, our conversation, and he just said, it's not stepping out to go take another position somewhere. It's just a time to step back and re- kind of see what God is saying and, and go from there. And I said, man, you know, that's a beautiful thing to be able to do that once in a while I don't know about you there's been times I wish I could just run off for like six months and just kind of whatever but you know that does never worked and and uh but I want to pray for them and um would you stretch your hands out towards them and can we just I want you all to feel not only the prayers but the genuine love we're going to miss y'all going to miss you father we thank you for this family and we thank you for the heritage that they have and the li- the lineage that god is behind them but it doesn't end right here god you have something somewhere whatever capacity it may be already he's ministering on the job to those who are staring eternity in the face and he has the privilege of speaking Christ and life to them. And we thank you, Lord God, that that which you've started, you will more than able be able to finish. So we send them forth with blessing. And we speak life and health over them. And let your purpose and plan for all of their lives, every each and every one of them, be brought to pass and be glory and honor to the name of Jesus. And we pray this in his holy name. Amen. 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 Praise God. Tiger and Christy, won't you come stand down here and we're going to pray over you. And, and Sam and Christy, won't you come stand right down here. And this is the next season. I'm glad you said that about the song. I didn't even pick up that part about the season. And, um, but we're thankful that God's raising up people to step into places. And, um, and, and we're just, it's just a privilege to watch God do what he does, how he does it.
and that God never is caught off guard. I'm telling you, that has saved my bacon more times than I can imagine. When I want to go, why God? He goes, I'm in control. It's going to work. So, Father, we just pray for these two couples right now. We thank you for their heart to lead and to step up, to be a shining light for those in the different age groups. We thank you, Father. I know that a lot of times the mantle that comes down for the position doesn't happen until that that time comes. So, Father, we pray that your mantle would fall upon each and every one as they minister to the youth upstairs, the minister to the tweens downstairs, and that they'll grow, not just the kids, the young people, but that they will grow and mature and develop as leaders for the glory of Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I told Sam and Christy when I asked them about stepping in for the tween junior high class, that was the first thing my pastor threw me into. He didn't ask me. He threw me in, literally. He opened the door, pushed me in the door, closed it and held it and waved at me through the glass to the five junior high kids behind me going fresh meat and that was my introduction to ministry and uh, or at least church ministry let's put it that way so we're so thankful for them and uh, I want you to know the best days for life church are still ahead but they're right now but they're still ahead Amen. amen the future is secure in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Let's give him praise right now. Father, we just bless you and we praise you. We thank you for the love that there is in this place, God, for you. We thank you for the people that you bring into our lives. And yes, it's natural to have sorrow at times in our life, but God, we know that when you're in control, that Father, that there is joy waiting in the morning and sorrow may last for a, a moment but there is joy on the horizon and we give you praise for that now bless each and every one as they leave this place let them go out of here with hope ablaze in their hearts that the trumpet's about to sound the place that jesus has prepared is almost done and the father is about to turn to him and say go get your bride and father when he does we're out of here. Thank you, God. We praise you. But until that moment comes, let us keep our shoulder to the plow, so to speak, and let's begin to go out in the highways and byways and tell people about the hope and blessing that is found in Jesus Christ. And we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer for anything specific, come and we'll pray for you. Otherwise, God bless you. We'll see you hopefully on Wednesday evening.